Welcome to the On The Yard Podcast, powered by the R.W. Jones Agency. I'm your host, Ashley Northington, and I'm here to connect you with the trends, news, and events happening across historically black and minority-serving colleges and universities. Tune in each week where we will give you a dose of HBCU leadership and culture, one episode at a time. Hello, hello, and welcome to On the Yard, powered by the R.W. Jones Agency. I'm Ashley Northington, and I want to thank you for tuning in and listening with us. Today, we get the chance to hear from Rust College President Ivy Taylor, who will share her perspective on the importance of community partnerships and the role they play in supporting and enhancing the HBCU experience. Dr. Taylor is making history as the 12th president and the very first woman to lead the historic Rust College in North Mississippi. Welcome, President Taylor. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that you could uh, join me today. So I like to always start with a little bit of context. Um, I know you had an interesting journey before you got to Rust. You were even the mayor of San Antonio, Texas. Can you briefly share a little bit about your journey and what led you into the higher education space? Sure. Well, I was born in Brooklyn, raised in Queens, New York, uh, from parents who were Southerners who went up to the North for better opportunities. My parents from North Carolina went to college on the East Coast, eventually ended up in a career in city planning in San Antonio, Texas. I married a Texan, so that's how I ended up in San Antonio, worked uh, in affordable housing, work for the city, helping families with limited resources to secure decent, safe, affordable housing. Got a little frustrated with working at the city, worked at a nonprofit, and then some community folks asked me to consider running for city council. Ended up as a council member and then a mayor. All throughout that journey, I always saw my life's work as connecting people to opportunities. Uh, I had spent a lot of time working on making spaces and places better, but at some point I had the light bulb moment where I realized it made more sense to just invest in people. And I'd served on the board of an HBCU in Austin, Texas called Houston Tillotson. And after watching the president there, I thought I could do that job. (laughs) And so when I left the mayor's office, I went back to school at age 48 to get a doctorate in higher education administration. And right when I finished the program, I landed this job at Russ College. Wow, that is incredible. What a journey. Um, I love that you said it made sense to just invest in people. That is awesome. Um, So tell me about how you've been making investments in in Rust College. What's it like these days at Rust? I know a little bit about Rust because my father's family is from North Mississippi. They grew up in and around Holly Springs. So I know a little bit about it, but can you talk with us a little bit about how Rust is changing and what types of partnerships and collaboration and investments are going on there. 
So for anyone who's not familiar, Russ College, located in Holly Springs, Mississippi, which is just maybe 35 miles uh, south of Memphis, Tennessee. And we were founded in 1866 to educate freed slaves. So it's the oldest HBCU in the state of Mississippi. And over many years has produced graduates who've gone on to uh, make contributions in many different fields, whether it be teaching, preaching, um, corporate America, business owners, so on and so forth. Well, uh, I'm coming in as a new president following someone who had been here for a long time. So that gives us the opportunity to kind of reimagine where some of the places that Russ can go. I think some of the things we're particularly interested in are um, in two of our areas of strength. Biology is the most popular major at Russ College. Uh, we have a robust health and science division. So actually, coincidentally, my meeting right before recording this podcast was with the um, owner and operator of a local hospital system here called Alliance Healthcare, which, um, a little trivia, is the only Black-owned uh, independent hospital uh, in the United States. Mm. So uh, this gentleman, Kenneth Williams, is a doctor. He's a fourth-generation doctor in his family, and he was so committed to ensuring that this rural community of Holly Springs had a hospital that when the previous owners, which was a corporation, were going to pull out, he put together the money and bought this hospital, which serves Holly Springs. So we just had um, lunch with he and his hospital administrator and the person who runs a nonprofit for him. We came up with all kinds of ideas about how we can uh, build on the strengths that we have in producing students that are interested in, in uh, the sciences to make that connection to healthcare. As we've all just seen by this recent pandemic this year, the healthcare area will continue to to grow and is a needed function in our society. And we've seen the disparate impact that the pandemic had on Black America because we didn't have enough Black people in white coats. And that's mm -hmm. a, that's, I didn't make that up, that saying, that's from a, uh, an author who wrote a memoir about being a Black doctor. I can't think of his name right now, but we need more African-Americans to work in healthcare. There's many other jobs besides actually being a doctor. So yes, that's one of the ways that we're envisioning new partnerships, how we can work with the local hospital, how we can provide more hands-on opportunities for our students here in this small uh, rural community to learn about how they can become healthcare professionals in the future. Another area for us that's ripe for additional partnerships is we have a mass communications program here at West College. We own our own radio station and TV station. And I'm really excited about all the possibilities for us, not just to send our students to different stations for internships, because we have been doing that, but to partner with the community to create content. Because if anyone, anyone who lives outside of a major big city you know that when you turn on the TV news, you don't see what the happenings in your small town usually aren't reported on by whoever the big station is. So we have the opportunity to partner with uh, the community here 
to share their stories on our local TV station. And we're looking forward to doing that with um, the talent that we've brought on board. Uh, we have a new director of broadcast operations, Marcus Holiday, who used to be a um, TV personality in Memphis. So just lots of exciting things happening here at Russ. That sounds wonderful. Um, I, when I think about uh, mass communications and Russ College, my mind immediately goes to Ida B. Wells, uh, mm-hmm. um, who is a Pulitzer Prize winning now yeah. uh, journalist who told the story of, of lynching. She was the person that made sure that the world knew um, what was happening. And she was a newspaper woman that I admire being a formal journalist. And, and Ida B. Uh, Wells got her foundational education here at Russ College. She's yes. a native. Holly Springs, and she attended Russ. So yes, I'm glad you made that connection. We want more people to make that connection between Ida B. Wells and Russ, and just the inspiration that she should provide for a whole new generation of journalists to go out here and tell stories about Black America and to help shape public policy as it relates to issues that impact people of color. Absolutely. So let's talk about partnership and collaboration. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've told us about the interesting partnerships. Well, what does this collaboration mean to Russ College? And then what do you think it means to the HBCU landscape as a whole? Well, I think collaboration is a powerful concept. I, you know, I always, when I was an elected official, there never was enough money to do everything that constituents wanted or needed. And so that's when I learned the power of collaborating. That means that you enter into relationships and agreements with folks who may not be in exactly the same line of business, but with whom you have some sort of mutual, either mutual interest, some mutual constituents or or mutual stakeholders. And so for HBCUs, I think um, it's very important because most of us have limited uh, budgets and funding. You know, we may not have the type of endowments that uh, some of the Ivy League or uh, flagship schools have. So in order to stretch dollars and create um, innovative opportunities for our students, it's important for us to be in collaboration with not just people in our immediate backyard or community like Dr. Williams and Alliance um, Hospital, but also those who may be a little further abroad who have an interest. I'll give you an example. So I had a a classmate. um, I was not blessed to go to an HBCU. I actually went to Yale. (laughs) And I had a classmate at Yale and she is um, the mayor of a community in Iowa. And so she contacted me and she said, you know, would you please talk to our superintendent of schools here? Uh, regarding helping us to increase our diversity amongst the teachers here. I understand Russ has a, a you know, education program for people who want to be teachers. So I, I talked to that superintendent. So here they are all the way in Iowa, mm-hmm. where we all know there's probably a handful of, you know, people of color there, but there's, there's not a huge number. So what he explained to me is that they have a certain percentage, you know, of black students within their school system, especially within the inner city part, um, as many non-blacks often migrate to the suburbs. But in the inner, in the schools, they have a fair number of blacks, but the 
teacher pool is not representative of the student population. And because there aren't a lot of blacks in the area, it's hard for them to recruit black teachers. So here's a way where we both could benefit. You know, we're training teachers here at Rust. Uh, teachers, uh, the students, when they graduate with their certification, they may be interested in going further, you know, um, than these state boundaries to be able to serve. And so they were interested in us being able to collaborate to send students to work in that um, community. So I thought that would be a win-win. So we're working on figuring out how that might look for us to to work together. So, but you've got to be in conversation. That came out of a lot of things end up coming out of personal connections. Mm -hmm. That's why I try to tell my uh, students about the power of networking and staying in, staying connected with people. I reconnected with that classmate through a leadership program that we were in together. And then that's how she ended up knowing when I got the job at Rust and following up with me about the possibility of uh, working together. Mm -hmm. So is it just the power of networking, the power of your personal relationships? Because what I want, I'd like to get at how HBCU leaders can activate those sorts of partnerships um, in times when, you know, we don't have as heavy as a spotlight on, on HBCUs as we do now. How do you begin to, you know, reinvigorate or, or activate some of those relationships when people aren't necessarily calling you to talk about diversity or inclusion? Well, I think just ensuring that as leaders at HBCUs, and that's not just the presidents, that's also the faculty and other administrative leaders to be connected both in their geographic community as well as in communities of interest. You know, say if you're a faculty member, you may be focused on a particular area. Are you um, involved in professional organizations uh, for others who share the same interests and are all committed to learning more about that specific area? You may be able to make connections there that then you can bring back to your HBCU campus. So those communities of interest, as well as the folks that are kind of in your own backyard, I think it's just important to make yourself visible. Sometimes when you work at a college, it's easy to get caught up in the the kind of regular routine, so to speak, of the classes, the academic calendar, kind of an insular ro uh, world of what's going on on the campus. But you've got to stay connected to what's going on outside of the campus walls and also make sure you have events and opportunities to invite people in inside the campus walls because when people come on to the campus for different events it may spark ideas for them or give them um, the sense that hey this is a place that's welcoming uh, to outsiders you know perhaps my organization or my interests may be well received here and that something may result from that but as far as the um the corporate community, it's important for HBCU leaders to be engaged in things like chambers of commerce. And then also we um, do already have some strong advocates, organizations like the United Negro College Fund. They help put presidents in front of some of the leaders of um, you know, corporations and government 
and other um, industries. And I think those types of organizations are really important as well. Mm -hmm. Why do you think, um, or what do you think the role that governments play in partnering with HBCUs? I know you come from that world. How do uh, those organizations partner and support um, these institutions? Well, um, in many in many ways and at different levels, you know, Russ College is a private school. We're an independent school, so that means we don't receive a line item uh, from the you know state legislature, like a place like um, Jackson State or or uh, Mississippi Valley, which are public schools. So w some HBCUs do have the opportunity to receive direct funding from the state level if they're a public school. But all of us have the opportunity for uh, to receive federal funding because the federal government does have certain special allocations for HBCUs. One of them is called Title III. Here recently, the federal government has been uh, very generous and some of the support that's been provided to HBCUs as part of the COVID relief packages. And so we're grateful for that. But I think it's important that no one take that type of support for granted because administrations come and go and people in those offices change. So it's important to be vigilant in making relationships with whoever is in office, no matter what their political affiliation or leanings are, especially in um, areas where HBCUs are in smaller communities like Russ. Russ is an anchor in a small town. So that means we're not just providing education, but we're providing jobs and, you know, we're an economic generator for a community like this. So uh, elected officials should always have an interest in economic generators in their community. So it's important to reach out to them, let, let them know what your, um, what a school is doing, and then to actively, you know, ask for support and demonstrate the appreciation for that support as well. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that it was important to pursue those relationships in time, no matter who is in office, because the moment can pass, you know. Yes. Um, I think that right now, HBCUs as a whole have a lot of attention. And because of that attention, corporations like Apple and Nike and others are clamoring uh, to partner. Um, why do you think that now is the time for all of these organizations to be on sort of the HBCU bandwagon? Well, and I feel grateful to have become a president during this current moment, and I want to take advantage of it. But I believe that over the course of the last year, you know, the George Floyd incident just sparked, um, you know, it, it, it in a way it's like it removed some type of veil from people's eyes. I personally never understood why people were more struck by that moment as opposed to any of the other many moments. I personally remember feeling very struck watching Michael Brown's body lying in the street and thinking specifically, do they not see the humanity in this person that they would let him just lie in the street like an animal that got hit, you know, wow. by a heart. that's how I felt in that moment, but it wasn't as widespread. And I don't know if it was because the pandemic had everybody kind of, you know, slowed down and galvanized, but when that happened and 
then more conversation started about, you know, the unfair treatment, inequality, you know, social justice issues. As people try to figure out how to correct what's happened over 400 years and to untangle and dismantle systems of oppression, that's a tough proposition or a tough equation. And HBCUs quickly rose to the top as institutions that, first of all, have been around for hundreds of years. So you can't say, oh, this is some fly-by-night nonprofit that, you know, what I, do I want to give money to them? This Russ has been around since 1866, okay? Tried and true. So you're looking at institutions that have a track record, that have stability, that can show and prove that they have changed lives. And so people are seeing that as a good investment. If I want to contribute towards changing uh, these systems, both by changing the lives of the students uh, and by creating leaders who will then graduate and go out and make additional changes in the world through either being lawyers or judges or activists or, you know, um, any number of ways that people can lead social change and social movements. When you invest in HBCUs, that's what you're investing in. Because we can look back at the history of the civil rights movement and see that all the leaders all went to HBCUs and look at what they were able to accomplish in that time and that generation by um, ending, you know, legal segregation and, uh, you know, just breaking a lot of barriers. So, I think that's why uh, HBCUs are getting this attention because really we are kind of the best investment as far as making large scale change for a group of people that have been, you know, uh, experienced sy systemic oppression over many years. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> there's going to come a time, at least I think so, when this attention is going to shift and go elsewhere. How do HBCU leaders and advocates extend the light that is shining right now? Well, we've got to be good stewards of any money that we receive during this moment. So I think that's very important for us to be good stewards so that we can show where those investments have gone when people start to ask questions about those uh, investments. And we can also look at this as an opportunity to start relationships, not just, okay, you give me the check, we take a picture together and smile. <laughs> and I go back to what I'm doing and you go back to what you're doing. But instead that we use that to actually start new relationships with parties who maybe previously were not connected in the HBCU world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you have to nurture those relationships. Right. <clears throat> so you you just said, I want to go back to something you just said uh, a moment ago. You mentioned that HBCUs were the best investments to produce like positive change. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, how Rust is producing that change and how you see others, uh, institutions maybe, you know, making change in this specific moment? Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, um, Rust is a small liberal arts college here um, in uh, Mississippi, an area where 
we feel a little closer to maybe the history than maybe in some other parts of the nation. And I'll just say, you know, I mentioned that I grew up in Queens. And so for me, the, the tie to the land or being connected with agriculture, that was a few generations ago for my family. My parent, my mother moved to the city when she was eight. You know, uh, so I never visited the country. When you come here to Mississippi, you know, I have people who are my age, I'm 50, and they grew up working the land, working agricultural jobs with much more limited opportunities than um, I saw in a different part of the nation. So Rust is making a difference for the, for those families that we've been serving by giving them, first off, Rust has been an opportunity for uh, black professional employment in a community where those options were limited up until, you know, maybe 30 years ago. So black people who did have the chance to receive employment, many of, uh, excuse me, receive education, sometimes it was hard for them to find employment. So we've served as a place for those folks to, to work. And we've continued to, um, educate a large number of first-generation and economically disadvantaged um, students. Uh, we've had a teacher uh, education program for many years, so we've helped to uh, put Black teachers in the classrooms. And I mentioned our mass communications program. One of our uh, one of our graduates just won an Emmy this past year for some work that he did in, in uh, sports sports broadcasting. So we have been able to, you know, place black journalists um, throughout the nation. So I would say that Russ has done some great work. And then you already mentioned our most famous alum, uh, Ms. Ida B. Wells, <laughs> and the tremendous contributions that she's made. But if you look at the statistics, they show that when you look at black lawyers, doctors and judges, the majority of them, even though HBCUs are very small slice of the higher education, um, you know, arena, uh, we're under 10% of the schools that are out here, way under, under 5%, I can't quite remember the stat, but we educate the majority of the doctors, lawyers, judges, and other key professions. So I think that speaks volumes about our continued relevance and the fact that um, we do a tremendous job in helping students who may not have had the strongest or most privileged foundation in helping them to get on a path um, that is dramatically transforms not just their trajectory, but their families and provides the diversity that we need in key professions uh, here in the United States. Yep. So oftentimes it seems that um, HBCU institutions uh, maybe aren't the recipients of large-scale grants and other funding opportunities um, that allow them to create new programs or, or, or innovate on campuses. How have you seen um, community partnerships or, or other types of collaboratory efforts? How have you seen them um, fill in the gaps? 
Well, they can fill in the gaps in a number of different ways. Sometimes it may be something like sharing facilities with a community institution. You know, if, you're, if your college does not have a certain type of facility, you may be able to partner with um, either a corporation or the local government to share facilities that can make a difference or there could be um, other ways in order to do that. I think it's just important to be creative and to allow people to know what your needs are because mm -hmm. if they don't know, then they won't be able to help you to meet them. Mm -hmm. So this is my last question. This question I ask every guest and I always am surprised by the answers. Mm -hmm. um, and this question is, what is the one thing you wish more people knew about HBCUs? I wish that more people knew the impact and the continued relevance of HBCUs because I know some people, you know, the kind of people who thought racism was over when Barack Obama got elected president, <laughs> you know, those folks who are a little bit disconnected, they may say, well, you know, why do we still have to have black colleges? But I think when you look at, um, first of all, the historical impact, uh, it, uh, that's not something that we would want to just throw away. But also, even when you compare um, students who attend non-Black institutions versus those who do, I think when you look at the, the rate, the graduation rates, and also the rates of HBCUs producing people who go into specific professions like law or medicine, that speaks to the continued uh, continued relevance and I wish that more people realize that we are worthy of you know their uh, contributions um, their financial contributions that when you're thinking about where how you want to do your charitable giving that HBCUs generally don't have as many high net worth alumni uh, as some of the other schools, like I told you who I went to, um, we don't have that same base to draw from as a place like Russ. So we really need others besides the alumni to be able to pitch in so that we can continue this incredible uh, legacy and impact. Love that. That is, that is a great note to end on. Thank you all. Thank you, Dr. Taylor, for sharing your wisdom and your expertise. And thank you all for listening in to this episode of On the Yard. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of On the Yard, powered by the R.W. Jones Agency. R.W. Jones is the nation's only strategic communications and issues management firm explicitly focused on higher education, serving more than 50 colleges and universities nationwide. Check back for next week's episode of On the Yard, where we'll give you another dose of HBCU leadership and culture. <laughs>